Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here it is, your Sunday, April 18th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Flyers coming off a 6-3 defeat of the Washington Capitals, but it is quick turnaround as the Flyers will be back in action tonight. It was a matinee game yesterday, 12-30 puck drop tonight at 6-30 against the New York Islanders. The top team yesterday in the Mass Mutual East Division in the Caps and the second-place team, the New York Islanders, coming up this evening. Uh, Coming up in just a second, Bill Melcher is going to join us, and we do a little segment we like to call Ask Billy. Great Twitter questions came in, and we are going to break them down. We're going to tag team these questions and give all the answers in regards to the offseason, the season that we've been in, go back to the 1920 season. We're going to talk about individual players. We're going to break it all down with a lot of really good questions, coaching questions, general manager questions, expansion draft, trade market, prospect. It's all here in a very comprehensive conversation with Bill Melter. But like I said, Flyers back at it today. Uh, They'll take on the New York Islanders. The Islanders actually right now in the third spot because the Penguins have leapfrogged them in the standings. Penguins got a win. They go to 59 points. They're three points back of the Washington Capitals. The Islanders, the third place team with 58 points. Flyers still sitting in that sixth spot. Now four points back of the New York Rangers who beat the Devils yesterday. And uh, now eight points back of the Boston Bruins who will be in action today to take on Flyers opponent from yesterday, the Washington Caps. But let's get to Ask Billy with Bill Meltzer. And he joins us right now on Flyers Daily. You read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. And I got the first question. Billy, how you doing? I am doing well. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been a tough couple months here. You know, yeah. <laughs> and we're coming off yet another really tough game, Bill, where they give up well, they give up five goals and an empty net goal to uh, the Washington Capitals, a six-three loss. I-, I went through these stats last week on Flyers Daily about how many times they have scored five or more goals and how many times they gave up five or more goals. This was prior to the game on Tuesday, and it was four times they've done it and 12 times they didn't. So now it's four times they've scored five-plus and 14 times they've had five-plus scored on them. Stunning. Oh, it it is. And and the Flyers also worsened another stat that no team wants. You know, the Flyers came in having allowed the most goals within two minutes of having – scored one or yielded one and um, even if you break it out in, in individually they're they're in uh, you know they're worst in terms of goals against again when they've they've scored a goal and it happened twice again you know in today's game so it's uh and obviously not not where you want to be um you know and the the penalty kill which uh you know i mean listen they, they were oh for three in washington washington started out this game two for three and Washington, I think, is now seven for thirteen on the power play against the Flyers this year. Yeah, they came into the game five for nine. (laughs) They didn't have a tremendous like volume of power plays, but I mean, I talked about it in the pregame show on the radio that one of the keys to this game was staying out of the box. And I mean, Justin Braun takes a penalty, he trips Alex Ovechkin, puts him right on the power play, and post haste on on both of his goals on the power play from the same spot. You You know, Bill, it's funny because I said. You know, predictability when defending in sports is supposed to be an advantage, right? Like in football, if you know what they're going to do, it's a lot easier to defend. Same thing in basketball, same thing in hockey. We all know what they're going to do on the power play, but there's still no stopping it. No, I mean, you know, because you can't just you can't just shadow Ovechkin. You have to win the initial battle, and all that all it takes is a, a guy like um, 
you know, Backstrom or, or Carlson to have a little lane to pass to him, you know, and he, of course he parks himself top of the circle and he, you know, wham, one timer in the net and then you know what they're going to do. Yeah. And that's fine. Right. But it's, it's a quite another thing to stop it. I mean, sometimes the, you know, the, the best power plays in the league are, are, are not unpredictable. You know, a lot of them, you know exactly what they're going to do and they just dare you to stop them. It's like a, you know, it's like a pitcher with a great fastball. Well, hit it if you can, right? It's uh, the same kind of thing. I mean, but you, the, the best weapon you have, as you said, is to, to not put yourself in the box in the first place. Yeah, I, I mean, it's we can call him a one-trick pony. He's not. But that trick that he has just on the power play, I mean, he doesn't move more than four feet. You know, no. he's not out. He's got a ton of power play assists, too, because he, play, he plays full two minutes of power play every time. But it's just there's nothing you can do about it. And Alex Lyon just can't get all the way across because that's a, that's a cross-ice pass, east-west pass. You can't get all the way across to cover that short side. And he's going to bomb you there every time with insane power and accuracy until you stop it. And then he's going to start going far side on you. Exactly right, yeah. I mean, he'll hit that top corner on the mm-hmm. near side over and over and over and over again. If he does miss, it's not by much. And then you know, that's when the puck will rim out on him. But yeah, I mean that that's just uh, you know it's one of the all-time weapons in the league, you know, and there's just there's just so much you can do. So it's uh, you know particularly particularly from a goalie standpoint, you just don't don't let you know don't let yourself get in that situation where you're going to get beat that way. It's, yeah, it's you got to hope it hits you. Bill, best goal scorer of all time in the history of the game, in your opinion, considering errors. I, I think so. I think so. You know, there's uh, you know, I mean, there there have been other guys that have obviously been prolific goal scorers, but I mean, Ovechkin is just. You know, he, he's just, he's just, um, and, and he, as you said, he's not just a one trick pony. There, he has other ways he can beat you too. Yep. You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, just in terms of a, a guy that can, can score from, you know, in, in a hurry. I mean, he can just, you know, you, you think you have him, and then, you know, and he's so strong too. That's something else. That's something else with him too, is that uh, he's very hard to take off the pocket. He has it. I mean, he can score by going to the net. He can score in, in some different ways, but I think in terms of best pure goal scorers, I mean, he's, He'd be right at the top of my list for sure. Yeah, I agree. And the, the other thing about him, people don't realize it. He's a guy to me that looks smaller in equipment than he is. Because when in normal years, when we're down at the locker room and the you know the visiting players are walking out past the Flyers' entrance to their dressing room, you'll see Ovi walk by, and he's built like Jeremiah Trotter. He's built like a linebacker. <laughs> people don't realize just how, especially his lower half. I mean, he is an enormous guy. No, he, he is. And, and I mean, you know, in the early part of his career, he was a, a big hitter. I mean, almost a reckless hitter at times. Yeah. And he, then he started getting a little bit banged up and changed his style of play a little bit. But if you go back and look, you know, when he has his mind setting set to, to throw a check or you look at some of his old footage, you see how strong that guy is. I mean, he, you know, I mean, he would just, he was bury guys with hits. I mean, he is very, very, very strong. And he has a very heavy stick too. that. You can see how strong he is there too. You know, yeah. good luck. Good luck taking the puck off him when he doesn't want it. You know. Yeah, he's just an absolute freak, and I mean, I've never seen a guy that every time he takes a shot, it's just so unbelievably explosive. But uh, we're not here to talk about him anymore. Uh, that was the game. Uh, let's get to uh, ask Billy because I, I put out a solicitation on Twitter for questions. Uh, for Ask Billy, for uh, people to tweet in questions about the season, about the offseason coming, uh, all different things. So we're going to tackle a bunch of these, Bill. So let's start off with Kevin Yarnell, who tweets in on Ask Billy and says, if you were Claude Giroux with an expiring contract next season, what's your message to the team to finish this year? Also, what's the message in the offseason? He said, I don't know how G feels about the city. Hopefully he'd re-sign and wants to push for a cup. Uh, So first of all, 
you know, with the expiring contract, what would Drew's message be to the, to the team for the remainder of this season? Well, I mean, I, I think the message is, you know, you need to play for some, you need to play with pride, yeah. you know, and, and I don't think you see, you know, I don't think you've, you've seen that consistently enough. They, the game on the game on Tuesday, I, I do think the flyers, although they didn't, you know, though they were very porous defensively today, I thought they competed better. They did on Tuesday, but that's, that's a very low bar, frankly, because on Tuesday, I think they really competed very well at all. That, that can't happen. I mean, you're going to, you're going to get beaten, you know, uh, a team like Washington can beat you, but, to, to fail to compete, you know, I thought the uh, I thought the Kuznetsov though they weren't competing very well on, but it you know it, it's uh, I mean, to, but to me that's the message. Um, you know, I, I think Giroux, uh, I think Giroux would like to finish his career in Philadelphia. I mean, he's he's been here his entire career, and players all players have other considerations too. We never really weigh the human side of it, where you know you you have a life, you have your family in a certain place, you have your your home there. You know, players players do weigh that. Um, you know, of course, every every player wants an opportunity to win. So, you know, I, I think that it would, you know, I mean that all all the, all those things factor in. But I think for I think for Giroux, you know, I, I think that the the message is is that you know, hey, hey look, I'm you know, I mean even even today, right? I th- I thought he set a good example for the team. If he, and I think it was Brad Keffer who had the stat that, you know, the Flyers had very few shots on shots on five on five on five today. Giroux was on the ice, either setting them up or, or you know, for most of the shots they had. Um, dominant on faceoffs today. You know, great passing sequence from him to, to Hayes to Allison for the, the first goal. Had the uh, primary assist to get the puck back to Provorov on the other goal. I mean, he, you know, most most games, not even, you know, not every game, you know, not, you're not every player is going to dominate every game, and he's, he's an older player at this point. But I never question that Giroux cares. I never question that Giroux tries to go out and do the right things. So He competes every night. And you're right. You're going to make mistakes as a hockey player. That's part of it. And when things are going bad with your team, mistakes end up in the back of your net with much high or a lot of high frequency. Uh, just speaking for, kind of from knowledge from him, and I don't want to speak for him, but I do know that he loves the city. He does not want to be anywhere else. He He's always talked about it. He does not want to wave his no move clause he wants to be here he wants his legacy to be here and with a team that pushes for a cup or wins a cup and I, I think that's important I mean, he's motivated by that you've heard the other players that have played with him that know him well guys like Jeremy Roenick who said you know he is tough on himself because he hold, holds himself to a very high standard um, but uh, you know that's the, ultimately the thing though you know he's got to resign a new contract and we'll see how that goes. So that brings us to our next question from Tim Tobin. He says, uh, for ask Billy, Drew has basically been back at center all this season. Would you move him back to wing next year? He said, I would be okay with Allison and another big body guy. His play has been far superior to 13 and 19 this year, but I'd also be okay if he's on the wing, if he's playing with 14 with Sean Couturier. I, I'll go first on this one, Bill. I, I would move him back to the wing. But you have to have a better option at center to move him back to the wing. I, I agree. Whether that's uh, you know whether that's Nolan Patrick has a you know plays the way we hope he's capable of playing, or or Morgan Frost steps up, or you you go and get a center from the outside. You have you have to have a better option, you know, in, in the middle to be able to do that. Ideally, yeah, I absolutely want him on wing because less less wear and tear than when he's in the middle, you know. Um, defensively you know he, he can still end up in some defensive mismatches at center um you know and and he's played i think generally over the last couple of years you know generally his best hockey 
when he's been on wing. So, yeah, preferably preferably he can play there, but you have to have the personnel to be able to do that. I agree. Yeah, yeah, you got to be big and deep up the middle, and him as a winger too. I think just be more effective and open up his game a little bit more and let that creativity offensively flourish. But provided you have a good responsible center that you can put out there on, on all four of your lines. Uh, Mike H tweets in and he says uh, for Ask Billy. It's going to be a long summer waiting for the expansion draft, but do the Flyers have any movable pieces that will net them anything more than salary flexibility and or draft picks? I mean, to me, they have uh, some very movable pieces. Um, You have your picks. You have a good prospect pool that's well thought of. And even though guys like Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers maybe uh, in total to varying degrees have regressed this season, um, they are still very movable pieces that can net you uh, needs for sure. And Chuck Fletcher kind of alluded to that in his press conference, didn't he? No, he did. He did. And then you certainly have that. And then you have, you know, you have players that you really don't want to move, but maybe in the, you know, in the right deal with the right pieces coming back, you know, like, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to move Travis Konechny this off season or anything like that, but I'm saying that you, know, you have, you have names that, uh, you know, that other teams would have interest in that, that would have value. It just depends, obviously, on what value you're getting back. But I, th- I think the Flyers do have movable pieces. Even, you know, even some of the contracts that uh, are, are problematic contracts, you know, that's the teams. Teams package draft picks. They they package other things that uh, an expansion team would want because they have to get to the floor too. So you know, if you if you look sometimes at the deal, you know, and you have to look at the the real dollar salary too. What you know, what is the salary as compared to the salary cap hit? Sometimes if you have a guy with a high cap hit, but um, you know, I, I haven't looked at the real dollar salaries in the next couple of years, but sometimes that can be an attractive piece for an expansion team just because, yeah. just because again, they have, they have to get to the floor. So that, um, you know, I, so, you know, I, I don't think it's as limited as, as people say, but by the same token, nobody's just uh, dying. You know, nobody's just lining up to solve your problems for you. You have to, you have to provide, you have to help solve some of their needs too. And a lot of times they want to pass you back salary in turn too. So it's, uh, you know, it's easier said than done, but I, you know, but there are, but there are possibilities. Yeah. It's very rare that you can get rid of in sports, a depreciating asset or a headache and not get a headache or depreciating asset in return. (laughs) There's a GM on the other side that, uh, you presume at least has a half a clue. And there's certain guys you don't deal with because uh, they, they tend to get the better of a lot of deals. That's why I would have been really nervous about dealing for Anthony Mantha with uh, Steve Eiserman because I see the job that he did down in Florida uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Rick Hines tweets in for an Ask Billy question. He says, honestly, if you were Chuck Fletcher, what would be your goal for the off season?" He said, who do you try to move? Who do you try to bring in? How do you fix this? And who's your backup goalie? He said, I don't think Moose will be back. Um, so let's take this in pieces. Um, your goal for the offseason, to me, uh, Bill, it's going to be pretty pronounced. It's it's a significant change in culture, and it's a significant change in the product on the ice. Uh, yeah, and, and that, to me, boils down to, you know, if you're looking positionally, I mean, we keep saying it over and over and over again, but another bona fide 20-minute-a-night defenseman, preferably, preferably a right-hander, you know, they, they don't grow on trees. They're hard to get, yep. um, you know, you need a, you need another top six center, but you also definitely need a change of culture. You need, you know, there's just the sheer number of games that the flyers have, have been blown out this season. And you, you presented the number of games, you know, where they've given up five or more or you know scored five or more. 
to me, this says it all, you know, in, in, I guess, 44 games now where they've lost by five goals or more seven times in 44 games. That's, that's way too many in 82 games. Yeah. You know, and that's, uh, that's just, that's just not competing enough. And, you know, the, the thing that, uh, the thing that, the, you know, the talk is cheap, right? And the players say all the time, well, we play for one another. Well, if you're playing for one another, you're not doing a very good job of it when you're getting blown out with that regularity and you're making life that hard. And, you know, the forwards make, make, make life harder on the defense. The defense collectively makes hard life harder on the goalies and the goalies have not come up with enough saves at key junctures of the season too. So if they're playing for each other, they're not doing a good enough job of it. And then you look at, you know, so what do you, what do you change on there? You know, you, you talk about accountability, but if you keep losing by those scores, then there's clearly not enough accountability. So you yeah. need, you know, and, uh, you know, I also think that, I mean, Chuck absolutely said no, no changes at all in the coaching staff. I think you, I think you have to, I think you have to at least look at it, right? You have, you have, you have to examine everything. What can be better? And, um, you know, whether it's uh, the goaltending piece or some, some end of special teams or, you know, or, or the practice, the little bit of practice time that they had was, you know, what could have been better about it. I think you have to look at everything when a team has regressed as much as the Flyers have in the short season. Yeah. And, and that brings us right to our next question because Dean Tanner tweeted in and he said, was it a mistake having Michelle Terry and coach the power play and forwards and yo coaching the D and PK shouldn't their roles be reversed or is it just the players lack of execution? He said, uh, either way, special teams has been a disaster and the players seem chasing a lot five on five. So let's talk about that. Uh, Mike Terry and uh, Mike yo in, in the roles that they are in. Do you feel like that was the, the suitable answer? I mean, Elaine Vino did. And in year one, their special teams were, were both very good. Uh, but in year two, it has been, uh, a bit predictable uh, at both ends. Yeah, the uh, the the penalty kill, you know, I mean, Yo Yo had a reputation, and he did here too, of going you know, coming in on a team and, and working the the PK side particularly, and it, it tends to improve by a lot in the first year. He did in Pittsburgh, he did it um, in Minnesota, and he did it here too. Now in Minnesota, he was head coach, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the PK last year was over eighty percent. I mean. I, I think that it, it's hard. It's hard not to look at what happened the last two games in Washington. But if you can block those games out, you know, the best the best as you can. The other games in April so far, I think the PK has actually tracked better. You know, in, in those particular games. So what were they doing in in some of those games where they looked better? Like against the Islanders, for example, they had a pretty good game on the PK, and they're denying entries. They are sticks and lanes, a lot of strong side pressure. And they, they, they actually, you know, they, they can't seem to bury one to save their lives, but they're actually getting some shorthanded chances. And even, you know, even today they had one that Lindblom couldn't score on. I mean, those things were really not very evident all season long. The, all those cross seam passes, you know, yeah. across the box, um, making, making life tough on the goalies. Nobody, nobody picking up any guys in front. You know, I mean, they're just just sitting ducks if there's a rebound or there's too many, you know, just, you know, and then then you know, then you get to the ones that maybe the goalie could have stopped too. But, you know, I, I think that you look at some of the personnel, you know, how much of it is, is like shorter practice time, but every team goes through that. I, I think that, you know, I, I do think that you need to see significant improvement next season, the penalty kill in particular. Uh, power play, you know, power play is a funny thing on – um, 
at home, the power play has been pretty decent statistically. Uh, on the road, it's been atrocious. And I never understand why there's such a differential sometimes between home and road because it's the same personnel, the same everything. You know, you're not, you're PP one and and PP two. You know, they so it's uh, you know you're really dealing with the same players, but you know, really it's been. So much of it is situational. You can go one for five on the power play in the game, but the one you get ties a game or go ahead or, you know, it's an, an overtime four on three. The Flyers just haven't seemed to bear down in those situations this year. Yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, uh, how many times can you say it's the coaching? You know, what was it? Uh, was it Knobloch and was it uh, Tarion and was it, you know, what, whatever, right? It, it's, uh, no, at a certain point, the players you have out there have to execute. But again, I think that you, I think you realis- realistically have to look at everything, everything. And you know, if you don't, I think you need to have a coherent plan. And I, I don't think, I don't think anything should be off the table. You know, so that's, that's how I view it. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a, a an extremely thorough and very honest evaluation about all aspects. It's not about making friends or. You know, any of that stuff. It's about winning hockey games, and, and you have to have a very honest evaluation. Which brings us to our next question from Jay Sasquala, uh, a frequent tweeter in the Flyers Daily on Ask Billy here. And he says, and it's kind of what we alluded to a minute ago about culture and those things. He said, usually in a situation like today, that's the game against Washington, you see guys try to step up for a goalie getting thrown in with little prep time. But the same old lack of energy in battle, sagging after scoring a goal, being dominated for long stretches – how do you instill that pride? And Alex Lyon got the call a couple hours before the game. I think Elaine Vigneault said it was 11 a.m. when he was notified that Carter could not go today with the lower body injury. And Brian Elliott was at the practice facility doing some extra work with Kim Dillabaugh. Wasn't even going to back up in this game, but had to you know, scurry over to the rink and dress to be the backup. And he's going to play uh, coming up today against the New York Islanders. Uh, but, but there's a theory, and I call it the backup goalie theory in sports. It's when one of your really important players is out. Everybody raises the level of their game because they're missing such a key component. We didn't really see that in this game. I thought they competed in the game, yeah. but again, the result is, you know, a, a game where Washington really hemmed them in and dominated the hockey game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that, um, you know, uh, it was a really tough circumstance for Lyon. I thought, I thought under the conditions he played okay. Yep. If, even if you break down the goals, you know, the, the two Ovechkin one-timers, two deflection goals, and the one where the team was just collectively puck-watching and Kuznetsov stepped right on in, and, you know, he's a dangerous player, you know, and he scored from, like, you know, from great range. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's tough to me to pin on a goalie. And the, the sheer number of shots to allow, you know, 41 in the game, 40 online, that's, that's, just, that's just way too much for the caliber of opposition you're playing against. How do you instill pride? I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You, you can do that at, at this point of a season, no, but I do know. I, I do know that that you know you have to go through a little bit of the process that they went through after 2006-07, where you look at okay, who's not fitting in here? Who doesn't want to be here? Who did we maybe you know overvalue or you know or or otherwise you know or otherwise put in the wrong situations? Right? I, I think that that's a that's a very it's a tough process, but I think I think you have to undergo it. the the the, com- the compete level has not been good enough on a too frequent of a basis this season. I think that is a very fair criticism. 
Yeah, the thing is for me, and, and Chuck alluded to it, that these games down the stretch, I think it was 14 at the time when he spoke after the trade deadline, was that he's going to use that period of time as an evaluation. And that's where you got to find out. There's some things you can measure in stats with stats in sports, and there's some things you can't. And pride, you know, compete, those things, you cannot measure with stats. That, that's You see that with your eyes, and, and you know. And right now, there's not enough guys playing with enough compete level and enough pride. And that, that's going to go into the decision-making this offseason as well. All right, let's get to uh, um, Burke Ricchetti because uh, Burke's a goalie as well. And uh, needless to say, he and I go back and forth over the years quite a bit. And he says, what do you make of Carter saying he couldn't go so close to faceoff? Sounded like Lyon and AV were not too pleased. Um, I, don't, I don't think it sounded that way from Alex Lyon to my ear and his availability. Uh, but to AV, it, it definitely did not sound like he was pleased um, to me. And that was my first impression of my gut. Uh, and I texted that to you as well, Billy. Um, I don't know if he was none too pleased with Carter or the situation. Sometimes these things happen. I, I mean, I remember Michael Neuver in the tunnel, standing there, ready to lead the team out and pulled the shoot. Yeah. It's not ideal because he's a, goal, a goaltender, as Burke knows, does need time to really dial in every element of his hands, his eyes, and all that. And they do that as the backup. Um, but this was a very different situation for Alex Lyon. Yeah. And then first let me say about Alex, you know, really, really bright guy. And when you when you talk to Alex, he, he will give you nothing but an honest answer. And he'll give you a very nuanced answer, too. I know some people didn't like his quote today. I, I really I really think he was speaking honestly, saying, okay, this is how I usually prepare for a game. And it kind of threw me off a little bit. And he wasn't and he wasn't making excuses for it. He was asked, was it difficult to go in and start under those circumstances? He wasn't talking about how the game itself went. He was literally just talking about, you know, okay, feeling feeling mentally, you know, sharp and ready to go. He said that he he didn't particularly. I know again, I know that doesn't sound great, but I, I don't, you know, I don't I don't think that's what he meant at all. And I don't think he was blaming Carter Hart. You know, blaming yeah. him, blaming on Carter Hart. Um, with Vino, I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think that he certainly wasn't happy with the situation. Um, on the flip side, if you remember when um, when Carter, his rookie year, he got pulled from a game, and then they were a couple nights later, they were in Montreal, and he got pulled from another game. And it turned out he'd been injured, and he didn't say anything. Yeah. And then that's when he ended up missing the, uh, you know, the stadium series game, and he missed mm-hmm. a couple of weeks with that. And he said at the time, you know, if, if he has something that doesn't feel quite right, he's going to report it. And everybody said, okay, well, he, that's a learning point. Uh, you know, if, if, you know, if he goes out and he plays and, and he, you know, whatever, whatever it was, he tweaked, whether a knee or a groin or whatever, you know, I don't want him playing. You know, I, I would rather, I would rather the goalie take himself out if he, if he doesn't feel ready to go. And, you know, it's um, so, but I mean, yeah, it, it certainly is particularly against a team like Washington far from, an ideal circumstance and you know i don't i don't know that carter would have fared any better just with the way the game went today but that's a that's a tough situation to put alex lyon in like carter hart would have done that if he would have felt able to play it's just it's just tough for everybody involved yeah i mean and and look burke i think is he follows the team close and some of the recent comments from av uh in regards to carter and when they did the reset and a couple uh you know comments since then you know we're kind of raising eyebrow we've talked about that before um, the, the other thing with that, too, is I don't want Carter Hart in the offseason rehabbing. <laughs> I want him preparing. There's a huge difference in how you prepare for a season if you're, you know, if he goes out there and pushes when something's not right and damages something significantly and requires a surgery or a repair. Uh, 
you want the goaltender to speak up, especially in this situation. So I'm glad that he did. You know, a lot of times when you're struggling or you're admired in a bad season, you want to be the warrior even more because you want to rush to get your game back. You want to microwave your game back to where it should be, but you can't. You got to slow cook it. You got to put in the work and you got to put in the time. Um, Let me ask you this one uh, from Anthony Giampalo. I think I said that right, too. Um, He uh, tweets in for Ask Billy and says, do you see the Flyers packaging a D-man like Sanheim or Myers and a prospect to Seattle for them to take a contract like Voracek's frees up that cap space for free agents? Um, you know, I look at Seattle and I go, okay, they got to get to the cap floor. And Voracek is a guy that is going to create excitement there too. They got to put a product on the ice and we'll see how they handle it with regards to how Vegas handled it a couple of years ago. Vegas wanted to put a good team on the ice, sell tickets and make it a show because that's Vegas, right? Uh, I don't know what Ron Francis's uh, plan of attack is, if it's more of a, a long play or an immediate burst. But uh, I look at a guy like Jake and go, I don't think you'd have to go that far where you have to include a Sandheim Myers and a prospect to Seattle to take Jake Voracek. And if it is, I think that's too much. I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, honestly, as far as Sandheim or Myers goes, because you're trying to build the blue line here. Yeah. If, if you could really, you know, if you're packaging them for something that's, uh, you know, top end of the rotation, a first pair guy, if, if that's a piece of it, if you, you could pull that off, then then you do what you need to do and you worry about how, you know, you go one pair at a time. You know, a lot of times when people talk about like like line building, I'm always like, well, don't worry about <laughs> don't worry about spreading the wealth till you have the wealth on the one line, you know, <laughs> then spread the wealth, you build a second line that works. So, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not eager to see the Flyers move Sanheim. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not saying, you know, the, you just move Myers for the sake of moving him. I, I think that is too much. Um, now, maybe, you know, maybe you're in a situation where you, you include a pick in there if, if you have to. But I don't, I don't even think you have to necessarily. I, I think that you, you know, you may be able to work, you may be able to work something out too where, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you're doing a deal where you're, you know, they're they're taking on something else, and uh, you know you're taking some cap and term back, but it's a shorter term deal. I mean, there there are different ways you can do it without, you know, without just just trading so many pieces strictly for cap relief. But I mean, yeah, to get cap relief, you're probably going to have to sweeten it to some degree. I, I mean, I agree with that much. Yeah, and you better know that in free agency with those dollars, you can spend those dollars and fill the holes that you just created. Multiple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Alex. Uh, Ared, Ared, <laughs> tweets it and says, for Ask Billy, is it time to start considering that the 1920 season, specifically January through March up until the pause, was a fluke and that this core isn't as good as we all want it to be? See, I, you and I have talked about this, Bill, and we both say it. You can't have it both ways. You can't say uh, last year was a fluke and then this year is not a fluke or vice versa, right? It's, look, I, I think the team wasn't as good as – they purported themselves to be, even though they got on a on a on a heater and rode it all the way to the pause. And I don't think they're as bad as they are this season. They're somewhere in between. But are they leaning closer to the team they were last season, or are they leaning closer to the team they are this season? And how much of that is predicated on not having a top pair defender? Yeah, I, I think that that's a huge piece of it. You know, you look at a year ago, and it wasn't just a heater in, in, in January to the break because the Flyers also had the best record in the league in November. And they had kind of a tough December. That's where uh, you know they got the bad news about Lindblom, and they had the really brutal road trip right after Christmas. Then they got then they got hot again, 
So, you know, that was, that was a, that was really about two thirds of last season and not just that one, that one swatch of time, um, you know, and even in October, although they were, you know, they weren't tearing it up. They weren't horrible either. You know, the thing, the thing that I, the reason why I wouldn't just say last year was the fluke also is that you look at all the stuff that was underlying, you know, that they were the stingiest team in the league in terms of shots, shots against that. They were one of the best third team, third, third period teams in the league that they, uh, you know, if you look at the average shift times for players, everybody was skating shorter shifts. They all bought into it. You know, all these process areas that they were really good at, they, they improved a lot of the puck possession stuff. They cleaned a lot of that up. The neutrals on forecheck was really good for most of the season last year. You know, I mean, you look at, you look at all those things that go into why they had such a good record. And it was a, it was a process that, you know, if you can keep to that kind of center, you can replicate it. You, you should be a top team with a lot of the areas that they improved it a year ago. And this year, everything, every indicator has gone way south. You know, that, that, that concerns me more than this player or that player underachieving during the season. I mean, of course, they, they've, they've gotten where they are because of a lot of players underachieving. So I think the truth is somewhere in between. I think you have to, you know, I think you have to look at the team's goals against average this year, and that cannot happen again. You have to, I think priority number one has to be cutting the goals against average significantly again and all the other all the little pieces that go into doing that, you know, and then if you can do that, then then you're closer to the team you were a year ago, you know, but if you keep, uh, you keep hemorrhaging, you know, the type of grade A chances that they have, that you keep not bearing down after you score a goal or give one up and you, you know, all of a sudden they, the, other, the other side scoring, you know, 40 seconds, a minute, a minute 20 after you score, then yeah, you're you're not you know you're not a good team and you're you're a lottery team. So really, it comes down to a lot of you know not not just the personnel and the talent. It, it comes down to you know how badly do you want to be the first on the puck? How you know how much does it upset you to to look at a goals against average and you're thirty you know thirty or thirty first in the league? And a lot of that has to come from you know players being honest with themselves too. I think I think so much of it, you know, so much of it comes down to. You know the way the team plays, and not just the not just the individual stats that are inside of it. I think I think if you look at the team on paper, it should be a lot better team than it is. But I think um, you know, so I think you don't overreact to a, a sample size of, you know, well, it, it's about six weeks at this point. But I don't think you completely write it off either, because there there have just been so many so many areas, and I don't think you just roll back with what you have either. I think I think you need changes. So. You know, but uh, but are they closer to last year or where they are right now? Well, I mean, you, you just have to look at the way the season's been going, and uh, you know, this is closer. This is closer to the team from twenty, you know, twenty nineteen. I think that's fair, right? Yeah. That, that team that that made a little run in the second half, got kind of close to the playoffs, and then fell back and you know down the stretch run a little too deep. I think you know, I think that's kind of the level that they're at again. Yeah, it's amazing because this year they're 30th, well, number two in the NHL in goals allowed per games played. Only one team has uh, allowed more, and that would be the Ottawa Senators. Anytime you're near Ottawa to anything, that's not good. Last year, in goals allowed per games played, 2.77, seventh in the NHL. But it didn't come at the cost of offense that year either because they were seventh in scoring goals four in the NHL as well. Um, in per game played 3.29 goals per game 2.77 
goals allowed per game. Seven yeah, and, and shots allowed. Fewest shots against per game, which is you know. Yep. That's, uh, that, I mean, if you're stingiest team in terms of allowing shots and and all the rest of that, obviously you're getting saves too. You know, you're a legitimately good team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which brings us to the next question because it, it's kind of in line with what you just alluded to, and we've talked about it uh, on too many occasions. Bill, the Flyers score a goal. And then the next shift, or within two minutes, they get scored on. It happened twice in the Capitals game, albeit a period break in between. Provorov scores with a second left in the first period to tie it at one. They come out in the second, 33 seconds in, Dmitry Orlov scores. They regain the lead. Then James Van Riemsdyk ties the game at 528 of the second period, and at 615, Ovechkin scores on the power play because they take a penalty in the next shift. And our, our tweeter here for Ask Billy asked this question. Todd Heiser, he says, why do the Flyers insist on putting the fourth line out after every goal? They give up more goals than any team within a minute of scoring. Do other teams do the same? Any stats on this? Thanks. Well, I mean, it, well, in terms of the baseline stat of, of goals allowed, you know, within two minutes of scoring one or allowing one, the Flyers, unfortunately, are, you know, the bottom of the league. They're, they're the worst in that stat. But I, I don't see them putting the fourth line out after, after every goal. You know, I think that it's uh, – you know, you, you go with your line rotation, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes the fourth line is up next, but I have, I haven't noticed any kind of unusual pattern where you instantly put your fourth line out after, after you're scored on. Yeah. It does seem to happen a lot. Sometimes you're trying to even out the bench too in those situations yeah. and you want a, a line, a workman like line to go out there and just get pucks deep and, and cause you're expecting some sort of response. But, um, yeah, I mean, to me, that's a read in the game. You got to read the situation and yeah. know what lines, what they're putting out there. And especially if you're at home, you put out a line that matches up well, and and you know, make sure that those key segments that how Elaine uh, Vino termed it, that they are taken care of with your best possible scenario out there. I mean, so many times, Bill, uh, giving up goals in the last minute or first minute of a period after they score goals, the key segments this year have been horrific for this team. They really have. Because the game's about momentum, right? When you score, there's nothing that changes momentum more than that. Fight doesn't do it. A hit doesn't do it. A goal is a momentum swinger. And when you uh, get the momentum and lose it so quickly, that's not good. It's just no way yeah. to, to to be able to succeed in this yeah. league. It's just not. And, and, um, and I think, yeah, and I, I think, it, but it goes across whichever line goes out next, whether totally. it's Kevin Davis' line or, or whatever. I don't, I don't think it's specific to the line they're putting out. It, it, you know, as you said, it, it's a bear down shift after you score or get scored. And I just think that as an entire team, it has to get better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go to this question here. Uh, and this one comes in from oh, – I lost it. Hold on a sec. Okay, here it is. Irish whiskey, which we could all use a little bit of right now. He says, multiple times this season they've had such ridiculous lapses in coverage, like in the Caps game when Kuznetsov's goal, uh, that they have been screenshot and become memes on Twitter. How is it that things are easily identified on film but can't be fixed on the ice? And I did. I took a screenshot of that one as well because Braun's over on the boards, Bill, like kind of at the half wall, and then yeah. Provorov kind of gets drug over there by a player trailing him, and then Chonkaturia is in the middle, but Kuznetsov's able to get inside that because he's taking care of the high slot because the, the defenseman's supposed to be where uh, Kuznetsov was exactly. Um but why does this keep happening? Is this coaching at this point? Is it execution? Is it a combination of both? Because I know they're not preaching that. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, you know, there's so much of his awareness, you know, the, the, the cliche is head on a swivel, but 
you know, you cover your area, but you also have to, to look for where the dangerous man is. And, um, you know, I, 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 puck watching and puck chasing will kill you every time getting caught flat footed. You know, I, I think that's, you know, we talk, we talk about areas that were better a year ago than, uh, you know, the, that have regressed the season two seasons ago. Uh, the Flyers had a major problem with backdoor goals being scored. And last year, I thought they cleaned up, cleaned that up about 90%. They really, as the season went along, you know, the wing, the winger on D, you know, the, uh, you know, center helping protect the house, the defenseman not, not rotating, you know, not running over to the other side and then leaving somebody open, you know, or if there, or if there is a guy in front, somebody rotating over to cover. You know, I, I thought I thought all those those coverage things were largely cleaned up a year ago, and this year, I you know I, I don't I can't put my finger on exactly what the cause is, you know, because again, a lot of mostly the same players. So it, it, it's got to be guys trying to do other guys' jobs. Now I got yeah. two guys not doing their job, right? Yeah, exactly. Compensation. And, uh, yeah, you know, and it, comp- yeah, compensation. Also, it's a little bit of communication too. Yep. You know, uh, a lot of times when when things aren't going well. Players stop communicating on the ice. It happens. It happens more frequently than I think people think it does. That uh, you know to you know, and, and and I think that it's uh, you know, it happens. It doesn't just happen with young players. It happens with veterans sometimes too. But I think that that's um, you know, it, it's always good when you have players, particularly veterans, that can direct traffic a little bit. I, I you know that, that's an area where, where Niskin is missed. Um, you know, that was an area, obviously, when they lost Chris Pronger because Pronger was just about the best I've ever seen in directing traffic, you know, for the, for the guys on the ice. I, I think that that's uh, – it's been lacking. It shows. Yeah, and that's exactly what you don't need to have happen. You need to communicate more when things are going to hell in a handbasket for sure. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, when you don't have a, a legit top pair because of that loss of Niskanen and it wasn't – that void wasn't filled. And Justin Braun, great third-pair guy, veteran to have, right? Shane Goss despairs the third pet, a third pair specialist, power play specialist. Uh, Myers and Sandheim aren't ready for that. You look at last season too, Bill. Um, look at top lines of the opposition when you had uh, that really good top pair with Proveroff and Niskanen uh, against Boston. They were excellent against Boston last year and really limited that perfection line. This year, they've totally struggled with Boston because that line has crushed them. Look yeah. at the Caps. They held Ovechkin off the score sheet last year, and they didn't lose to the Caps last year. This year, he's filling it up. What's he got? Eight, eight goals now in six games? Eight goals in six games. Um, yeah, four four power play, four even strength, I think, or five and three, something like that. But it, Ten it, assists, it, too, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And remember last year, too, um, there was a game in, in Washington where they put the uh, the Sanheim and, and Myers line out yep. against – uh, Ovechkin's line because yeah. they were they were playing really well against them and actually I think we had uh, I think we talked to Mike Yo about it that that you know he was he was really happy with the the way that pairing was playing so they, they just kept rolling him out against the top line you know so then you had you had a pairing to, to go up against um, Backstrom and a pairing to go against Kuznetsov and they both really did the job you know uh, this this year the you know the matchups have been much tougher to to manage because. You know, you're not getting the performance you need. And, you know, I mean, there have been so many, so many players this year have just feasted off the Flyers. You can almost go, you know, almost one per team, even Buffalo, right? Yeah, even Reinhardt, 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 Buffalo, yeah. so just down the line. 
Yeah, find me a team that hasn't, right? That's when you yeah. give up that many goals. Everybody, you, you, you play against them this year, but the way they played defensively, and it's, all right, boys, everybody eats here. Let's go, you know? And everybody feels a little little bigger, a little stronger, a little faster, ready to shoot the puck a little more because they've seen the poorest defense this year. Um, we've gotten to a ton of questions, Bill, but one more here for Ask Billy. This has been awesome. Uh, John Messina tweets in, and he says, who's the most disappointing player this season? Who's the most surprising player this season? And should they trade one of their projected defensemen? So let's start with who's your most disappointing player for the Flyers this season? We'll both go on this. Yeah. Well, uh, you know unfortunately, there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of candidates on this yeah. one. You know where I'm going. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm, you know, and it's it's not the stats. You know, I'm not I'm not going by stats on this. I'm going by observation. I, I was hoping for Kevin Hayes to play at the level that he played at a year ago. Um, that that's been a big piece of it on, on the a on the penalty killing side. We've talked about how you know how porous the penalty kill has been, and not that it's only Kevin Hayes, but last year Kevin Hayes was the force on the penalty kill. Yeah, you know, not not just the shorthanded goals, just just uh, you know creating turnovers and, and ragging, ragging time yeah. on the clock, and you know, and just just really you know making a big big difference on on the uh, you know on the PK. And, and he fed off it big time. Off it, and, and it, it played into the rest of his game. It created momentum for the team, you know. Um, you know, I mean, the the points have been hard to come by for him over the last five weeks. Um, he did have a really nice pass to uh, to Allison on today's goal, and the overall points are aren't awful. But I, but I, you know, but I, I was hoping that uh, in the second line center role that he was going to to really be a, a steady anchor for the team. And he he's been one of the guys, and again, one of the guys who who've not who've not played the level they need to. And you could also look at guys like Myers and then truthfully, you know, truthfully this hasn't been a year anybody would have won it from Carter Hart. So you, you yeah. can you can look at candidates, but I'm gonna go with Ace. Yeah, yeah. Well you know where I'm going. And I mean TK is another guy too. Like the numbers yeah. recently are good, but yeah. uh, I wanted more you know, from Jump Street and consistency from him. 24 goals last year in 66 games was on a 30-goal pace. Uh, didn't score in the bubble, and then uh, this year has been very up and down for him. But, yeah, my most disappointing is 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 the goaltender Carter Hart. And, again, this isn't just because of him. This is just because of the byproduct of everything, of, of what's in front of him, his environment, um, and also th- the way he's responded to it. I mean, last year uh, they did give up the, the third most – east-west passes across the slot line and he survived it not surviving it this year they're also a little bit lower this year where they were more dot to top a circle cross slot line passes for them last year this year it's below the dot dot or below to the bottom of the circle and the expected save percentage on those is 660 it's just hard to survive that and um, that's been uh, the biggest disappointment for me this year is the way they've defended in front of their goalie and the and the way the goalie um, has not been able to to really uh, weather that storm like he did a year ago. Uh, the most surprising player for you this year? Uh, I, I would say that in, you know, in a positive way, and he had a little bit of a, a downturn too. But uh, I think overall, Joel Farabee progr- progressed from year one to year two at a, at a tremendous rate, and maybe not in a surprising way, but he he was really really playing well for an extended period of time where. You know, maybe a little ahead of where I thought he'd be in year two, yeah. particularly because sometimes guys take a little step actually backwards in year two. So, you know, I'll, I'll go, I'll go with uh, Faraby. Yeah, Faraby's a good one because he really did take a big jump, and the release looks far better. Um, you know, can we go with Zade Wisdom or Tyson Forster? 
<laughs> these guys should be playing in junior right now in the OHL, right? And they're playing pro hockey and playing an exciting brand of hockey and having good success. But to me, the guy I would go with in, in this scenario, Bill, uh, I agree on Farabee, but the guy that I would oddly enough pick here is Shane Gostaspare. And I, I've been, as you know, I've been very critical of Shane over the years because of the defense, you know, the defensive abilities. We know of the offensive abilities, but um, the one thing in 34 games this year, he does have eight goals. He has seven assists. Um, and if he is in the right role as a third pairing D man and offensive zone starts and power play, he's proven that he still has offensive skills in the league. And the, the fact that how he's played since he was waived uh, is is something that I look at, and that surprised me. That yeah, for sure. It's he, been he's a guy who uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I the way he's responded to not just being waived but clearing waivers, you know, he's definitely had a, an "I'll show you" attitude, which is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, a good way. Yeah, a good way. that uh, you know, I mean, he's been you know he's been solid on the third pairing overall with with Sam around. The two of them seem to function pretty well. Um, as you said, the offensive game has come back around again. You know, every player has their ups and downs. Uh, over when he was in the top pair with Provorov, he had he hit a pretty rough patch, as the whole team did in in March. But I mean, he had about an eight-game stretch there where it just felt like nothing was going right for Shane. You know, but I think I think you look at the whole of the season. I mean, listen, he came into the season and it was really Eric Gustafson's job to lose. You know, and he did. I mean, Gustafsson outplayed him and took the job back. And that's, uh, you know, that that's to Shane's credit. Yeah, no doubt. Um, this is an ask Billy from me. A lot of people asked it in varying degrees in, in the Twitter responses. Uh, and a lot of people are asking about the backup goaltender position or tandem with Carter Hart next year. Uh, any guys you in particular that you, you would think they would target? Or is this the end for Brian Elliott? 36 years of age, just turned 36, uh, uh, I believe, just uh, about a month ago. Um, is he, he April 9th was his birthday. Um, so he's in his 36 year old year. He's played a long time in this league. I mean, he was a ninth round draft pick. That tells you how long he's been around. There ain't even nine rounds in the draft anymore. Uh, <laughs> but you look at Brian Elliott is maybe that the end for Elliott and where do you turn to, uh, with Carter Hart? What are the qualities you're looking for? Well, twice before I've said, <laughs> you know, when, when Brian was having the uh, core muscle issues a couple of years ago, I thought, Oh, I don't know how much longer, you know, Moose is going to play. Um, you know, I, 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 I think the Flyers should look, you know, for a little younger on the tandem. I don't think that, uh, you know, I, I mean, if, if that ends up being your fallback option, you know, and, and that's what you do, then, then, you know, see how it goes over one more season. But I, I think they'll look in another direction. Um, I'll, I'll tell you who I like. I, I, you know, a lot of times I look at a guy who's played well on, on a bad team. You know, an anti Ranta. And so I was, I was actually going to go with Linus Allmark, but same yep. idea. You know, uh, yeah, I, I think Olmark has played pretty well with not, you know, with a Buffalo team in front of him that's been in the shambles. And I think he, you know, I think far far more often than not, he's he's played pretty well and kind of given his team a chance. And even as Buffalo's gotten a little better here recently, I mean, he's been he's been a part of that. So that that's the kind of goalie that I would look at. Um, you know, then you have, of course, then you have the names that uh, you know that that Chuck Fletcher has some familiarity with the Darcy Kempers of the league, Devin right? Dubnik. Yeah, Dubnik being another one. So, you know, I mean, they, there, there, are, there are options out there, but I'd like to, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the direction that I would go. Though I, you know, Allmark was the one particular name that I kind of had circled. Yeah, I mean, they kind of looked at it when they acquired Cam Talbot, and then 
they ended up bringing back Brian Elliott. Talbot fancied uh, a little bit more of a, a starting gig and, and got paid. Good on him for doing it. I mean, some of the intriguing names. I mean, Pekka Rene, if he's if he keeps playing, he's going to be in Nashville. They'll, they'll sign him to a one year deal. I mean, Freddie Anderson, he's looking for a starter job. That's not a, this is not a fit. Dubnik is thirty five at this point. Um, just got moved from San Jose to Colorado, um, so it's a little too old for me because I, I want a guy that. If either Carter gets hurt or struggles, that can play a, a good amount of games. We'll be back to a normal schedule next year, presumably, which is good. I, I mean, the guys I look at, I look at James Reimer. I think a guy that knows his role as a, as a, a backup, a really good guy that um, can help Carter in a lot of ways as well. Um, Peter Morozik's only 29. Uh, he's a UFA. Yeah, I'm not interested in Morozik. But um, what about Bernier, a 33-year-old goaltender with Detroit? Uh, strictly, strictly as a backup. If I was a little, you know, if I was a little more content with the year that Carter had, I would say, okay, Bernier, Bernier could be a serviceable backup for a year. But what if you, what if you end up having to run with him for a while? I mean, Bernier is funny. Bernier's always been a bigger name that, on the market that sometimes when he's performed. Yeah, you know, I agree. Um, so you know, uh, you know, I, it's it's a name that doesn't wow me, but it's uh, you know, but certainly he's an experienced goalie and and. Uh, you know, been around the league obviously for quite some time. I, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a name out there that I, you know, I suppose you could do worse than. Well, I guess. Uh, well, I mean, Yaro Halak is a free agent. He's thirty-six. Yeah. Rask is also a free agent. We've seen Jeremy Swayman and Vladar, so we'll see where where they go. Uh, a guy I would keep an eye on too is a twenty-seven-year-old Chris Dreger. Uh, he's been with Florida this year. Took the crease from Bobrovsky at points. Has been really good. Um, that that'd be a guy I would look at as well. He's a free uh, UFA. Uh, only made eight hundred fifty thousand, so he's not going to cost you a lot, and he's going to go. He's going to get a raise, but um, I, I don't think that teams are looking to make him a starter. So that, that may be another option for people as well. Well, Bill, this was um, this was thorough. There's no doubt about it. And uh, the Flyers will be back in action today to take on the New York Islanders. We'll see if they can bounce back like they did from that six-one loss with the win over Pittsburgh, and this time they'll have to bounce back with another loss to Washington. Uh, this time six three and uh, take on the second place team in the Metropolitan, well not the Metropolitan Division, the Mass Mutual East Division. Look at me going going to next year already again. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of Flyers Daily. Everybody, stay safe, enjoy your hockey today, and we'll talk to you on tomorrow's breakdown episode of Flyers Daily. Every day.